1: Hi there, welcome along to another episode of the High Performance Podcast, another dose of motivation and inspiration to kickstart your week. Um, I really hope that you get a lot out of today's episode. It was a real pleasure for Damien and I to record this one. This is what you can
2: expect over the next hour. I think the most important part for me psychologically after my accident was watching the incident multiple times when i was in hospital um i was in a coma until um it happened on a sunday um, afternoon and i didn't i don't really remember anything until sort of the wednesday thursday of the next week and watching the accident and kind of reliving that moment that happened so quickly to me that i did not really wasn't able to comprehend it it allowed me to sort of digest it all and move forward Our guest today is such a
1: special young man. Um, It's very apt, of course, that Lotus Cars are a car brand and they are our partners and our sponsors and our friends. Just a quick reminder that without Lotus Cars, we simply wouldn't be able to do this podcast. So if you can, please head to Lotus Cars across social media and show them some love. And you can also find us across social media as well. Damien is at Liquid Thinker on Instagram. I'm at Jake Humphrey. You can find the podcast at High Performance. And I'd love you to head to YouTube, type in High Performance Podcast, where you will see and hear exclusive content that you simply won't get anywhere else. Subscribe, hit the notification bell, and be part of the High Performance community that is growing and growing over on YouTube. Right, let's do it then. It's time for this week's High Performance Podcast. Hi there, I'm Jake Humphrey, you're listening to High Performance, the podcast that delves into the minds of some of the most successful athletes, visionaries, entrepreneurs and artists on the planet, and aims to unlock the very secrets to their success. As ever, my personal professor, my learned lecturer, my awesome author, Damien Hughes is with us. Now, today's guest is not just an elite athlete, but also a young guy with remarkable resilience. A few years ago, one of the many, many young racing drivers who dreamed of a shot at Formula One, now one of the most recognisable figures in motorsports. However, his fame hasn't come as a result of some wins behind a wheel of a car, but due to a life-changing crash. However, the way he dealt with the impact, returned to racing a few weeks later and has continued to move up the ladder of the sport and carved out a TV career, absolutely makes him a high-performance individual. So Damien, what are you most looking forward to learning about today?
3: The thing that's really going to intrigue me about interviewing this particular individual is very much around the idea of that mental flexibility. So when you talk about high performance, there's an old saying that you don't lose sight of your goal, but you sometimes have to be flexible about the route in which you get there. And I think this individual has uh, certainly had to find a different way to achieve his objective. So. That's what Million really Chiefs to understand.
1: Because he has done just that. He's still very much on the chosen career path that he had, despite such a change to his life. So welcome to High Performance. Billy Munger, how are you? Thanks for having me. First things first, right, we've met quite a few times. Every time I see you, big smile on your face, super positive, talking about all the good stuff. Like, is this real? Are you this positive all the time? Level with us.
2: Yeah, I, I, I'm fairly positive. i probably i went to the casino last night with a mate and won some money so that's probably why i'm swallowing a bit more today
1: (laughs) (laughs) love that there must have been though and still you may still have them like periods where you just look down at where your legs used to be for people that don't know the story you had a huge crash a couple of years ago and you lost both of your legs in that incident you must still do you still reflect on that and think what a shame or have you managed to put your mindset into such a place that it's all about the future?
2: Um, obviously, there's moments where, like, something will frustrate me and I'll sort of look down and be like, that's maybe the reason why I can't do something in the same way I used to do it. And it's just more, more than often, it's the small things that, like, get on your nerves. Like, because of what the sort of, the fact I'm an athlete and I compete in motorsport um I think a lot of us think of ourselves as sort of like kind of superheroes in some sense like any athlete like we're doing living our dream like it's almost like a sort of virtual reality in some aspects it's not like you're not doing a real nine to five job so then when little things like that you can't do or you have to think about in a different way to do uh it can get on your nerves a bit See, I would imagine if I was you, it
1: would be the opposite. Like, when you've been through such a big moment, I wouldn't let the little things piss me off because I would just be like, I know how fragile life is. Yeah. I'm not going to let that annoy me.
2: Well, there is that. And, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, in general, like you say, I'm quite a happy, chilled-out person. I don't normally let things get to me. But it's obviously everyone's going to have those sort of that sort of those brief cracks.
3: Like uh, when, Billy? Sorry to interrupt, but when?
2: <laughs> so if, if something as simple as, like, I'll be... I don't know, trying to get to a, a meeting or something, and I'll be getting out of a car. And because my ankles don't have any flexibility in my legs now, I'm trying to get out of the car, and it's every, all of a sudden you're getting a bit, a bit flustered because you can't get out of the car and stuff like that. Like, it's just really simple things, but not that would play on my mind. It's just like, that's just my reality. That's day-to-day life for me, that some things are harder. My life in general is harder day-to-day in terms of the small things rather than actually me as an athlete and a racing driver. When I'm out in the car, I'm doing what I enjoy. And it's a lot to it. From the outside, you wouldn't be able to tell I'm doing it in a different way and from what situation I'm in. So when you're behind the wheel of car, is that when you feel most like the old Billy? Not necessarily most like the old Billy. I mean, I've definitely adapted and changed as a person because of my accident, but there's definitely, I think in general, my character is the same as it was before. It's probably where I feel most comfortable within myself, probably, just because I've done it since I was seven years old. I spent more years behind the wheel of a go-kart or a racing car than I have not. So that makes up a huge proportion of my personality and who I am as a person. So when I'm out there doing it, I don't have to answer questions about obviously having the accident and stuff like that because um, a lot of people like to ask questions obviously about my accident and how I've changed and, and stuff like that but in general in my head I'm still the majority, I'm the same person as I was so I find that frustrating sometimes so it's almost nice to go out there and not have to answer to anyone and just go and, and do what I enjoy.
3: Without wanting to dwell on the accident because yeah. I can appreciate that must be frustrating like do you ever have moments of not fair thinking? where you do like you were clearly set on a particular path that you had to take a detour around it
2: I think that's life I think what happened to me is how life works you have obstacles that are thrown in your way all different types of things can happen to people day to day Um, obviously mine in is recognized because it was quite a big accident and a lot of people know about it and stuff like that but in terms of your mindset and how you get over something like that it's it can play on your mind as much as the small things do in terms of getting out, getting annoyed at something and getting over it and moving on. I don't really see my accident too different to that. So I don't really play on the whole not... It wasn't... It's not fair why did it happen to me card.
3: But how did you learn that? Because that's a learned skill to be able to put things in perspective as as well as
2: that. Yeah. um, I think if... It's just probably part of my personality. I think my mum and dad... And my family, I've I come from a very hardworking family with um, my mum and dad never had things given to them the easy way they all had to work for to get where they are. And I think as a kid, um, I saw that quite a lot. Um, my mum is a makeup artist and she works really long hours up at five in the morning back at nine o'clock at night there was probably years in my childhood where I wouldn't see that much of her because I go to school in the morning come back Um, my dad's sister my auntie would be at home looking after us picking us up from school but it wasn't like I didn't know what why she was there and what she was doing and and if anything it made me the person I am because it allowed me to go and race and do all these amazing things that I enjoyed so much
1: do you think that when you were a young racing driver and it is super competitive, coming through the ranks of go-karting, trying to get into single-seater racing, which is the most competitive of all of, of all the racing, I wonder whether that work ethic that you picked up from your parents is something that was with you throughout that period because you don't get to where you've got to by chance.
2: No, I think so. Um, I completely agree. I think my parents, I think it goes for most people in saying that people's parents have a massive impact on what they mindset is and how they're able to achieve certain things Um, so I I don't doubt for a second that my mum and dad's work ethic didn't help me at all in getting to where I was of course it has I mean it's meant that the small little details that some people might find boring and a challenge for me I think in some ways has allowed me to approach that in a different way I think your family and the people you surround yourself in it's, it's not for your family you surround yourself with every day Um, it's not a question of a mate you might see once in a while who's got a a great mindset and you try and pick a few things up off of them. It's just natural with your family that you kind of become the person and have the same character as the people you constantly surround yourselves with.
3: So how did they handle this change in direction so the accidents happened?
2: If I'm honest, they took it worse than I did, especially um, my mum and my dad. I think obviously because they were not my dad was responsible for getting me into racing because he raced when he was younger i used to go and watch him Mm. um and obviously he got me a go-kart i think he bought me a go-kart when i was two years old (laughs) and you can't drive go-karts till you're seven so he was very keen on getting me out in one even though i was nowhere near ready for it it was something that he had in his mind that he wanted me to have a go at obviously because he really enjoyed it himself And yeah, so I think in some ways when I had my accident and stuff like that, my dad probably felt guilty because oh, if I hadn't made like not made him, but it got him into racing, then this wouldn't have happened. My mum obviously works all those long hours to be able to pay for me to go racing. So she played a role in the fact that I'd be out on track especially the level I was at in F4 when I had my accident. That was sort of with the amount of money we have as a family and how expensive my sport is, that was kind of really F4, maybe British F3 at a push would have been what we could have afforded with my family putting some money in and with the sponsors I had at that time as well. So it almost felt like we were coming to the end of sort of where we could get to as a family without something happening in or getting some more sponsorship from the outside world and then obviously this accident happens and changes everything and I think they took the guilt upon themselves which they shouldn't have because it's sure I, I but think how
3: did that change the dynamic of your family then really so obviously you've lent on them and now it sounds like you were they were leaning on you
2: yeah they definitely were and it came at a really weird time as well my accident because so I was 17 to have my 18th birthday in hospital and um when I have my accident it's kind of that age where you're looking to become more independent like you kind of feel like you want to start doing things more for yourself you don't want to have to rely on your mum and dad anymore I didn't want my mum and dad to have to keep paying for me to go racing I wanted to it was getting to that stage where I wanted it to be raised through sponsorship I wanted to become a professional and sort of leave the nest in that sense and kind of figure out exactly who i am as a person so in that sense it was really difficult to deal with in terms of dynamic of the family because my mum and dad obviously had looked after me and helped me all the way through the ranks and they wanted to continue to do the same for me well there was sort of a bit of a rebellious part of me that was like mum would try and push me up the path in the wheelchair and i'd be like no i can do it i can do it it was like i wanted to take on responsibility for my life and going forward but obviously having an accident like that means that some of your independence is taken away You're never going to be grateful, right, for having an accident where you lose your legs. But I wonder whether you are
1: grateful for the fact that, apart from the injuries, the accident brought you profile. The accident linked you up with Lewis Hamilton. You ended up at Formula One races with him as a mentor for you. You've ended up on the television working as a pundit for Channel 4 interviewing the likes of Toto Wolff, who I know went through a big trauma as a young guy himself and believes that high-achieving individuals often have a moment in their youth that they either become so resilient from it or it breaks them. And it looks to me like you've become really resilient from yours. So in a kind of strange way, you talk about the accident happened at a time when you were outgrowing the system you were in at that time, which was being funded by your parents. And it's actually the accident that has moved you into a whole new space that you might never have got to without this terrible crash.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, at the time of the accident, that's not what you think of. I didn't necessarily see it as the end of my World sort of thing, because like you say, there was some part of me that wanted to move on from where I was. But now looking back at it, now I have perspective on what my accident, the opportunities that have come from my accident. There's there's definitely a lot of silver linings to the story and how I had my accident and what I've been able to achieve since then. I think the most impact in terms of having it on me physically, obviously. The impact is obvious but mentally and how stronger um, how much stronger I am I think I think mentally now is where I see the real benefits from the accident itself
1: explain that a bit more
2: so just like in terms of my mindset like, like I say the small things get on my nerves um sometimes but it's I think sometimes people like to get caught up in things that don't really matter and as much as I still get annoyed as much as the the person next to me. I think I'm able to deal with it a lot quicker. I think there's always that part in my sort of thinking in the back of my mind that allows me to sort of just say, well, why are you even bothering, worry about that? Well, before it would be like, I don't know, you'd spend five, ten minutes like getting upset if something's happened, but now it's like it happens, have a little bit of frustration, and you're like, what are you doing? And then you kind of just forget about it and keep moving forward. So I say my mindset in terms of looking forward to... The next thing, I'm excited now every day I wake up for the next day and the next thing to be able to do. I don't take anything for granted anymore. Um, And I think that's probably massively down to my accident and the mindset change.
3: You've touched on this idea of resilience that you must have had before the accident and you've required it post-accident. And one of the things that often intrigues me about resilience is they talk about a concept called pre-mortems, where if you anticipate problems... You can deal with them a lot better when you face them, but you've had to learn this post-mortem, post an accident like that. So did you get any help in making that transition?
2: So hard to say. I think, like you say, you can never plan for anything like this that will happen to me. To be honest, like you say, I think there was really no... My mindset, like I say, has changed. So in terms of what I, how I deal with problems and stuff like that, I don't really like to... I don't think too far ahead, really. I like to just think day by day and just think of... The sure. next opportunity. I never really like to. Everyone always asks me, oh, why won't you show your goals to get to F1 and the next? How many years is it going to take you to get there?" And I'm like, "Oh, I don't know what I'm, how I'm going to achieve something tomorrow, let alone how I'm going to achieve something in five years." Sure. So why would you spend your energy and your mindset and put all your time into thinking about what you're going to where you're going to be in five years rather than where you're going to be tomorrow or the next week? I, I like to keep things short term and keep things simple. I think some people sometimes life gets so on top of people that they start to overcomplicate it
3: which is a remarkable level of perspective that you have not only at such a young age but in terms of when you're in the middle of this and I can imagine that you've been given a lot of support in terms of physical rehab to be able to learn to walk again and use the limbs but how much help did you get psychologically to make that transition?
2: See, I'm a typical stubborn bloke, racing driver. Uh, had my accident. Um, I think the most important part for me psychologically after my accident was watching the incident multiple times when I was in hospital. Obviously, it was broadcast live on ITV4, so instantly things start popping up on YouTube, stuff like that. Um, I was in a coma until um, it happened on a Sunday um, afternoon, and I didn't. I don't really remember anything until sort of the Wednesday, Thursday of the next week um from obviously being on the morphine and stuff like that you don't really remember a lot and watching the accident and kind of reliving that moment that happened so quickly to me that I didn't really wasn't able to comprehend it just allowing myself time to realize okay there was nothing I could have really done there what happened happened it allowed me to sort of digest it all and move forward well my mum and my dad wouldn't didn't watch it the the thought of watching the accident would like make my mum and dad terrified and I, th- I think uh, it's just about, I guess, kind of facing up to your fear in that sense. I didn't want my accident to become a fear and not addressing it and treating it as this horrible thing that had happened to me and leaving it there rather than just looking at it for what it was, which was a, an accident. So you've not had any counselling,
1: no professional help mentally?
2: So, this is where I was going to lead on to it, so obviously, I was a stubborn racing driver. Uh, my mum was always upset about the accident and stuff she 'd always go to we'd go to prosthetic meetings and they'd um with my um, physios and stuff and they 'd say, "This is a lifelong thing. you were going to see a lot of you it's not as simple as get your legs and you're off and you don't have to see anyone again. Your legs will change shape, you'll have to be back here and I think that was quite daunting for my mum um. Obviously, she's a protective parent. She wants the best for her kid. And I think she was kind of probably at some point of her mind thinking that it was going to be Bill gets his new legs, he starts walking again, and that's it. Game over. He's back to how he was before, which obviously isn't the case. That probably took her longer to digest than it did me. But I probably went about six to eight months before I spoke to anyone about it. Um, It was offered to me through the NHS and stuff like that. I'd always say, oh, no, my mum... Speak to my mum. My mum's a bit fragile at the minute. She doesn't really know what, how to deal with it, so she she spoke to people about it quite early on. But because I'd seen the accident and because I was okay with it, it was like, no, I don't need to see it. I'm I'm fine. I'm ready to move on. It wasn't until sort of like like I say, six to eight months later, you start living life properly and things that are completely surreal when you're learning to walk in, start becoming more normal, and then you find these frustrations. So I, I have had cancelling since then, um, and it has benefited me definitely, but, yeah, it didn't come as something I naturally wanted to do at first.
3: So if there was anyone listening to this podcast that is facing their own frustrations, their own setbacks, what what advice would you say, having lived probably one of the most extreme – setbacks is possible to think of what lesson would you share with them
2: I think we all think we're super strong individuals mentally and we all think that we're capable of taking on the world by ourselves in some aspects but I think that it's not necessarily the only way to do it and I think that in actual fact particularly for me my strength and my story came from the strength of others around me and it wasn't until I allowed that sort of same principle to be put into me in terms of speaking to other people and that that and that side of things that I really felt that I got over my accident obviously in my head I was super strong I'd seen it it didn't bother me that was me done like ready to take on the world again by myself but I think if anything it's made me stronger from talking to other people about my accident and for me it was actually about talking to people that I didn't know so obviously the psychologists and stuff like that that I've spoken to, didn't most of them didn't know my story, anything about me. They just were dealing with me as an individual as I was now, which was good for me because all the people around me knew me as Billy before. And they could see the changes that had happened in my mindset and stuff afterwards. So it was hard for them to probably get kind of communicate with me properly because they didn't know how to approach it well if you speak to someone completely new they take you as they see you in front of you and what
1: do you remember
2: the professionals saying to you that you thought bloody hell that's good advice i hadn't even i hadn't even considered that that's really helped me there wasn't there was never one thing in doing this sort of having the psychologist and stuff like that. Never, well, it wasn't really one thing that kind of was like the magic light bulb moment where I went, okay, yeah, now I'm okay. Because people often expect that from psychology, yeah,
1: yeah, don't yeah, they? Yeah. They're, yeah. they're anxious, they're depressed, they're not happy, they want to go see someone and walk out. Yeah. Like it's a new silver bullet.
2: Yeah, it yeah, really, really didn't work like that for me. It was more about talking to someone who had no preconceptions of who I was before, if I've changed, if at, at all, from my accident. And more just just talking to someone. And it's, it's so hard as a, an individual to kind of expose your weaknesses to people. Um, everyone wants to portray themselves, especially in our society now. I mean, uh, I know I'm guilty for it in some aspects of, so, you know, the whole Instagram thing. Everyone wants to put up their best pictures of themselves and they don't want to make themselves look inferior in any sort of way. Um, and it was quite nice to go to someone and not have to worry about putting those walls up and just allow yourself to be exposed and I think that was kind of how it worked for me and how I was able to then realise that it's okay to be like that. It's not, you don't have to, everything doesn't have to be perfect every day of every minute um, for you to be okay. Like people have down moments, it's normal.
3: It sounds like you're very driven and very clear clear focused before your accident and though you talk about learning this vulnerability and the ability to open up and rely on others. How has that impacted you professionally?
2: Um So obviously, as a, a sportsman, as a, an athlete, I think everyone is, is exactly the same for athletes as it is for normal people. In the sense that they they want their competitors to see them as this ultimate. You are not going to beat me. I have no weaknesses. Um And while while you think you have no weaknesses as an athlete, is probably where you're at your weakest because then. You can't open your mind and see where you actually are weak and where you can be better. So I think for me, I'm I'm now able to deal with situations where I've not done a, a good job rather than blaming it on other situations and other factors. I'm able to quite look at it, I think, in quite a sort of open manner and actually be able to sort of assess what I'm doing right and wrong better.
0: Selling a little or a lot? Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. The first time you got behind the wheel of a car again after the crash, I think a lot of people externally will look at it and go, ooh. I bet that was scary getting behind the wheel of a car. Talking to you now, Val, for now, I imagine your mindset was one of hope I'm just as quick as I was before.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There's no, not my first time. I was actually really nervous first time. What about? It was just so, it it was all surreal. It happened, I got back in a car 11 weeks after my accident. So I still had like. Um, Forty pins in my leg. Where this my comes scars back to you were.
1: wanting to show no weakness in the early days, though. Yeah, doesn't that's, it? It. that's what this is about. Very this much. is like I'm fine. I, I, I'm a racing driver. I'll
3: just yeah, go back the opportunity
2: to work. came up. To, do you want to get your license back? Who offered you that? Who offered <laughs> it? So it was a guy's um, um, with. Um, Team Brit, they're called. So they help. They do a lot of stuff with um, the army guys, veterans that oh, have right. lost yeah. limbs Hadley and caught. stuff. And so they have all these. They had all these hand controls already designed for people in the same situation as me. And obviously, I'm a racing driver. It's a racing car. It was like, yeah, why not? Straight was away. Was it seen as part of your
3: rehab, though, Billy? Was it? Oh.
2: No, that was. It was just an opportunity for me in my head to get back behind right. the wheel of racing car, see what it felt like, get my license back, which was something that. I wanted to do straight away because I wanted to get back racing so it was quite, quite a logical thing. Um but yeah like you say it was that it was 11 weeks off my accident in hindsight I don't know whether I was fully prepared for it but I managed to go out there do the job enjoyed it or started to enjoy it. I was nervous at first. Um but yeah it was definitely my mindset at the time was definitely of that how I was before in terms of I have no weakness I'll go back out I'll get behind the wheel everything will be as it was before. It all sounds weird now reliving it. With how I see my mindset changed now, after having two, three years living like this, it all seems a little bit, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd necessarily do it the same, but that's how it happened.
1: But wasn't it important, because there would have been a doubt in your head, can I still race? Can I still drive? Will I still get the thrill? Have I even got the balls to get behind the wheel of a car again? The great thing about doing that 11 weeks after is all those questions are gone then. You can actually focus on other stuff, can't you?
2: Yeah, that's it. I knew that it was possible. I went out there, I'd done it. I got my license back. It was like that sort of spark to realize that this wasn't the end of me as a racing driver. And like I say, at first I was really nervous. More for, and the fact that I don't think it was a nervous in terms of being scared of what was actually about to happen. It was more nervous as in, Will I, Like you say, will I be as good as I was before? Because it was all different. I was nervous that I was going to not be able to use the hand controls properly and not be able to compete at the same performance as I was before. But luckily for me, I got out there, I got comfortable with it really quickly and just started to build on it.
1: Do you know what I love about this story? is? It's a reminder for anyone listening that something happens in your life and you think, right, that means X. But actually, like in Billy's case, it might mean Y. It might mean something completely different. And it's all about reacting to it in your own way but also changing your perception you know Billy reacted in a certain way after 11 weeks and here we are two years later and he doesn't think he'd do the same thing it is a permanent sort of journey isn't it and you just don't know
2: the destination.
3: Well I think that's the point isn't it that it's about you've you've been clear-sighted but you've had to take detours along the way and having the willingness to do that.
2: Mm, yeah it's definitely I think it's this. You don't, like you say, it's not necessarily good to just have one game plan when it comes to your mindset and have that one, okay, I'm going to be portray myself as being super strong in every area. Probably a lot of really, really top athletes in some ways that they have to have some of that mindset. You can't lose that all and start to to thinking that you have to change everything that you do. You have to kind of, it's more about being open to the things you are good at and keeping them the same and learning how to adapt the things you're not.
3: So, how would you describe yourself now, then, Billy? So, before the accident, I'm going to second guess it would be you're a driver. Mm -hmm. How would you describe, how's your identity shifted now?
2: I'm still a racing driver, and that's still what my focus is in terms of that's what I love to do the most. And with my, with how my accidents changed my me as a person and knowing how short life can be like I could not be here now and not be able to live these amazing things I'm doing now so because I love racing the most out of anything that's what I spend all my my energy and focus on
3: beforehand it's quite a selfish pursuit in many ways it's for you and your family and the people around you whereas do you feel any responsibility now that you're a role model to young people or that you're an inspiration to others, does that carry any weight for you?
2: Yeah, that was something I really struggled to deal with when I had my accident, that whole, all of a sudden, people know who I am, people are following my, my story, people are saying, we really hope you get to F1 and stuff like that. Like, I was 17 years old, like it, and I was going through a traumatic experience, and all of a sudden, I'm becoming people's role models, people were messaging me, saying, oh, my kid looks up to you, you really inspire me, and stuff like that, it's just like so hard to get your head around. I don't think anyone ever, even like top athletes that go on to achieve amazing things, I think that's something that, like you say, it's in the selfish nature of being an athlete that you don't think about anyone else apart from winning and being an athlete. I don't think anyone ever really grows up to be a, out-and-out role model for other people because why would they? Like they most people have to focus on themselves first before they can learn to give back to others and that kind of thing. So I, in some ways, I'm still conflicted with that being that role model. But I just try to be myself with it now. I don't try and be anything I'm not. So like I say, I am a racing driver. Yeah, that's who I am really. So in terms of my character and who I am, I don't pretend to be anything I'm not. I'm just quite, I'd say I'm quite an authentic person. If I asked you to give yourself
1: a mark out of 10 for how happy you were before your crash when you were a single-minded young guy just wanting to race, what would you have given yourself?
2: I'd probably give myself... The same markers I'll give myself now. Really? Yeah. That's very interesting. Because it wasn't that I knew all this stuff and I was ignoring it. I hadn't experienced trauma, real trauma in my life. I hadn't gone through all the experiences I've gone through. I think people learn in life through experience. And I think as much as I'd like to say that it'd be easy for me to say, oh, yeah, I'm happier now because I've learned all these things and I'm a better person or whatever. I thought I was a good person before I was in terms of who I was as a character. But I'm able to look at it a different way now after having an accident. But I'd still say I was as happy before as I am now.
1: I think you're an absolutely fascinating individual and you are inspirational. I know that that doesn't sit easy with you. I can tell the way that you (laughs) shake your head when I say that. But to be the age you are, to suffer a life-changing accident, to return back to the sport you were competing in before, to compete to a similar level. I know you were on the podium at your very first race back. To do all that, to do it all with a smile on your face and to kind of like sit here and make out that it's not really a big deal. I'm just kind of still me. I give myself the same mark as before. I feel like the same guy. Like the fact that you don't feel special or any different is actually a mark of how different and how special I think actually you are.
3: Very much.
1: Thanks. You don't have to say anything. Yeah, you don't have to say anything. <laughs> But that's, that's just my emotion. It's been an absolute pleasure to sit and, and, and talk to you. I, mean, I bet you found this interesting as someone that studies psychology and elite-level performance.
3: I think it's intriguing, and I think Jake's hit the nail on the head there, Billy. I think the fact that you're so level around it, that you've not allowed yourself to get caught up in the highs and lows is a real testimony, And whilst it seems ordinary to you. It really is. Extraordinary.
1: Thanks. Don't be embarrassed. <laughs> I'm not. If only people could see that you, that you were um, going red yeah, on a podcast, the they would laugh. Listen, we always have um, a few quickfire questions that we ask all of our guests on High Performance, and we're going we're gonna to run through, through a few of these for you. First of all, the three non-negotiable behaviours that you and the people around you have to buy into.
2: I like positive people.
1: Yeah, thought that might come up.
2: Um, I like people that don't take life too seriously have a bit of fun. We're not here forever. And I like people that are selfless, I guess, like because that's something I've learned about myself. So I like to be around people that are the same in that sense.
3: I feel a bit of a fraud asking this one, <laughs> given your age, but if you were giving advice to a teenage Billy starting <laughs> out, what, what one piece of advice would you pass on?
2: Teenage Billy is only a few years ago, that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, just enjoy life just do what you enjoy um, for as long as you can pretty simple very easy
1: Um, are you happy?
2: super happy as usual (laughs) no I am it's um, obviously like you say everyone has their good days bad days but in terms of where I am now and and what the stuff that I'm spending my time focusing on um, the vast majority of that is stuff that I enjoy so it's quite a winning a good combination for me to enjoy myself
3: and how important is legacy to you
2: I don't really care about my legacy I'd like to the only thing obviously you, you talked about the responsibility of being a role model um and that's something that i i I'm still learning how to get over now and how to how to deal with properly and be responsible for because it's a big responsibility to be a role model. I'd like to think that if I could sort of encourage one person to go after something that they want to do and not let anything get in their way, then that for me as a legacy would be all I'm really looking for in terms of legacy as a racing driver and stuff. Obviously, it'd be easy for me to sit here and say, I want to be the best racing driver in the world. I want to be an F1. Um, And they're all things that I want to do. But in terms of whether they happen or not, will that change Will that affect me as a person, though?
1: Fantastic. And the final one, I suppose the crux of the whole podcast, really, for people listening to this, your one golden rule to live a high-performance life. And high-performance, by the way, can be anything that you want it to be.
2: It's quite interesting for me. I've like, met a lot of people since my accident that are top athletes and they achieve Olympic gold medals. I mean, Caitlyn Jennifer, she jumps out at me. Um, she was an Olympic champion as, and you think that she's achieved her goal and she'd be super happy, but she clearly wasn't. And she's now happy now. So for me, in terms of golden rule, is don't let other people's opinions of you define you.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so much for being on High Performance. Mate. Thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's been great. Damien, Jake, that was so, so interesting.
3: was fascinating wasn't it and and quite humbling as well you know Billy's left the room now but feel really quite humbled having heard his story. Do
1: you you know what stood out for me you know as someone that knows him and spends a bit of time with him I've always sort of thought to myself oh he's just sort of happy-go-lucky Billy you know he's such a sort of cool kid he's had this accident and everything's fine but that when you then go through the actual process you realise that It could so easily have been derailed by this. And people are derailed by this kind of trauma.
3: Yeah, like we spoke to Billy afterwards about um, the work of Viktor Frankl, so he's a famous psychotherapist that wrote a famous book called Man's Search for Meaning, where he reflected on his years in captivity in a concentration camp during World War II. And the famous lesson that he teaches from it is that the ultimate thing that we all have within our control is our ability to choose our attitude so he chose to view Auschwitz like it was a medical exercise he said I refuse to believe human beings are this cruel so he chose to view it as a as an exercise as I say but he appointed himself as a chief caregiver somebody to encourage and offer support and nurturing to others and he claims that that was a key component of once we like once we have the ability to choose we have freedom available to us and, you know, Billy could have chosen the path of being a victim instead, very clearly he's chosen to continue on his pursuit to become a Formula 1 driver but he's, he's been chosen as well to become an inspiration to others as well.
1: And do you think that he's he's chosen that path subconsciously? It's because of who he is or is that not possible? Almost without knowing it, he's had to make conscious choices to focus on the positive to look for
3: the good. Yeah, I think very much. I think that came across when he said that he'd had to choose to confront the accident in the way that he did, where he watched the replays of it. And then once he could understand that it wasn't his fault, there was nothing he could have done, it gave him the ability to move beyond it. As he said, so he chose then to put the accident behind him, not to blame anybody and to not assume the identity of a victim, but instead continue this path of, I'm Billy the driver.
1: And as a... Professor of psychology, do you look at that now and 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 understand that that has been put behind him forever, or are there still challenges to come from, in in years to come from what from the accident? Do you think?
3: I think what he was saying is even in the year, I think that he had this idea of he was in, uh, invulnerable for a period afterwards, and then I think as the day to day challenges and frustrations come, he will he still has to learn to manage that, and I'm sure as he as he gets older those challenges or just take i'll I'll change shape but they will still be there but i think his attitude ultimately is an incredibly powerful one
1: you know my opinion on the sort of victim mindset that so often people people already decide that they can't do something or can't achieve something and that's actually what stops them doing it rather than the fact they can't they've almost made that choice and that is basically what he's done isn't it? he's made the choice to be okay with his accident
3: yeah exactly I think that and that's why I found what was really fascinating was the the bit that he hasn't chosen and the bit that he admits he's struggling with is the idea of being appointed as an inspiration to others he's chosen to become Billy the driver regardless of the accident that's befallen him now he has to decide whether he wants to also be Billy the inspiration let's see how it unfolds fascinating Well, Damien, the reaction
1: to last week's episode with Sir Clive Woodward has has been incredible. And I think that once people hear that honesty and that reflection and that positivity from Billy Munger in today's episode, they will be, uh, they'll be just as compelled to go and make their own lives as positive as possible.
3: Yeah, definitely, Jake. It's one of my favourite interviews that we've done. Uh, and it's probably the one that I've shared uh, with young people, especially people that are facing difficulties, th- uh, tough times or their own particular uphill struggle and I've told them so much about Billy and um, his, his just infectious attitude for dealing with whatever life throws at him and making the best of it
1: we're talking about dealing with um, challenges. We get so many incredible messages um, each week across our social media channels. If you can, to go and leave a review and rate the podcast makes a huge difference to us. It means that we can reach more people than ever before and continue doing it. In fact, Damien put something on his um, social media this week saying, We're doing this. For the outcome, not the income, and that is exactly the point. And if you can just leave us a review, or if you can rate us, you will you'll help the outcome to grow even more for lots of other people. But Damien, here's a message that came in, and I'll I'll read the whole thing because I think it's it's really quite powerful. It says. Um, Hi there, High Performance Pod. I cannot tell you the impact that high performance is having on my life at the moment. Five months before COVID-19, I started a travel business as I've longed to create something of my own and I have a real passion for sport and travel. The journey was always going to be long with many challenges, but COVID-19 has multiplied these. I'm working my nuts off in the day. I'm planning for when the world can travel again at night and I've also found work as a security guard at a student accommodation residence just so I can bring some money in to the family home. I listen to the pod on the drive to and from my job. It fuels me with ambition, resilience and knowledge and I know that as hard and as tough as it is now, it's about staying passionate, rolling with the punches, with being ready for when my venture will eventually start to lift off. The podcast has been so important, and I'm taking away ideas and thoughts from each and every episode. It gives me goosebumps just reading that out.
3: Yeah, bloody hell, yeah, definitely. I think it's quite humbling to know that uh, we, that people are allowing us to accompany them, whether it's uh, on their morning runs or whether it's driving into work or in their dark periods that they're allowing us to... Keep them company just feels a real privilege. So that's, um, yeah, like you say, it's goosebump moment stuff.
1: And I think there's a school of thought that you can't make big life decisions based on a podcast. Of course you can't. It's just a podcast. It's a couple of guys talking to to someone. But you absolutely can, because it doesn't matter where you get your inspiration from. Actually, what matters is you, your decisions, your self-belief, whether you get it from us or from your wife or from a psychotherapist that you go and speak to, it's the belief that matters.
3: Absolutely. I think that what we're trying to do is just open up avenues, uh, uh whether this is avenues of thinking, whether this is avenues of conversation, or whether just avenues of what's possible in somebody's life. And I think that if it can act as a catalyst for somebody to have those thoughts and then like you say, take the action to go forward on the back of it, you know, change is possible and hopefully that we can play a small part in people's decisions to, to make those changes uh,
1: Thanks very much to TMW51 saying interesting insights into the World Cup winning coach Sir Clive Woodward's methods especially teamship the teamship conversation was, a, was really um, impactful for a lot of people um, we've got another message here saying this is the best podcast out there I look forward to a new release every Monday I've listened to every single episode I love Clive's relentless attitude to learning, which inspires me to continue my approach of studying. And actually, Sir Clive shared the podcast on his LinkedIn account, Damien. And on it, he said, it's a pleasure to be on the pod. I'm really enjoying all the other episodes. And they used, you know, hashtag never stop learning. And I think that is also a key thing for people. We are, we're talking to leaders and people who have changed their world. And they've done it through making mistakes, through struggling, through failing. But all the way through that, taking the learning
3: definitely I think that's something that um, that is a common attribute of uh, of all these guys that they don't get fixed in a certain way of operating and then assume that they've got all the answers they're always open to new ideas new, th- new ways of thinking and you know it's been really interesting that the amount of our guests that we've had on that have listened to previous episodes and uh, can tell us which ones that they got real value from that it's almost like a A virtuous circle of learning what we're trying to do we're we're sharing insights from high performers other high performers are taking and coming on and telling us how they've applied it
1: and we love doing the pod we love doing it for free we love making it as accessible as as is possible um to enable us to keep doing it though we would love you to rate the pod to review the pod wherever you get your podcasts um tell your friends about it share it on your instagram stories share it on your fleets if you have them on or is it fleeks what is it fleets or fleeks Damien, you'll know. <laughs> I do. <knew. laughs> so these are like um, they I think they're called fleets. Yeah, they're called fleets. It's like a quick tweet. A fleet. Oh, I don't
3: know, right? You <laughs> don't know about no, this? Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs>
1: right, Damien. You know how we talk about uh, a life of constantly learning.
3: <laughs> this is this, this is <laughs> your mission too. this week. Yeah. A fleet. All oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Go and do. I want a fleet.
1: Um. Well, before you fleet, you need to tweet. So you need to, <laughs> you need to, get, onto, you need to get onto Twitter at some point. Um, but look, whether it's a fleet to tweet, um, an Instagram story, or a post on your Instagram feed, if you can share um, your thoughts at home about the High Performance Podcast, I can't tell you the difference that it makes. Once again, subscribe, hit the notification bell on our YouTube channel. Just search for the High Performance Podcast. Check out highperformancepodcast.co.uk. And although he's not on Twitter, he is on Instagram and you can find Damien at Liquid Thinking. Damien, I'm going to ask in a moment for your little message for people to carry with them over the next few days um, until the next episode. But what I would just say is, you know, we continue here in the UK anyway to be in a lockdown situation. The High Performance Podcast, please don't get this wrong. And please, if you speak to people about it, explain it to them. We are not just talking about successful people and their successes. We are sharing the whole journey from the difficult stuff, from the challenges, the failures, the lessons that they learned. Um, we're not just putting successful people on a pedestal and making other people feel bad because they've done so well. We are telling all of you at home that everybody struggles. Everyone has doubt. Everyone has challenges. We're all in this together and we'll all come out of this together. Um, Damien, your uh, final thoughts for the week ahead?
3: Yep, inspired by Billy Munger. Uh, it's not the fact. It's how you react.
1: Wonderful. Damien, good luck getting your fleets sorted out and... I'll see you next week, mate.
3: See you next week. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much. Top man. Uh, A big thanks as always to Damien, of course, for his hard work on the podcast, to Will O'Connor, who is the oil that keeps the cogs moving, um, to the brilliant Finn Ryan at Rethink Audio for his hard work on this as well. Um, And more than that, to all of you for talking about, for sharing, discussing and enjoying the podcast. It is developing such a momentum um, and such a movement. We really feel like we're creating something special and that is totally down to you. So, thanks very much for being part of it and have a brilliant high performance week.
0: Planning for your next trip?